This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good to see you in the house of God today. I believe if God hadn't connected to your heart yet, he will before you're gone this morning. So let that be your prayer also. If you need a Bible, why don't you get your hand up real high and we're going to let the scriptures teach us the word of God. Once you got your Bible, go to the book of John chapter 13. Now, we've been on this just a little bit about what's next, but literally what this is saying is many times we give our heart to Jesus, and if we're not careful, we think that's the ending point. That's not the ending point. That's just the beginning point. And so none of us in this room should ever try to shrink or compress the Word of God to fit our lifestyles. You know, several years back, I saw a bumper sticker, and it said this, I like your Jesus, I just don't like your Christians because they are so unlike your Jesus. And so again, people look at us as Christians different. And I don't say that negatively. They ought to look at us and say, man, you got something that I desire. So we'll begin to look at all this this morning and let the scriptures teach us. And where we're going with this, this first passage of scripture will tell us. John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. The message says in the same way, the Amplified says, just as he loved us, we should love one another. And so you ask yourself this question, just how did Jesus love us? He loved us so much that he died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave. And so right here, the Lord is, is telling us, that we need to learn to love each other the way Christ loved us. And it's not dependent upon your weaknesses. It's not dependent upon your strengths, your titles, your qualifications. It's just the love of God that God has put inside every one of us for people. Keep reading with me, verse 35. By this, by the love of God, all men will know or recognize that you are my disciples if you love one another. So if you're my disciples, they'll know that you're that because of my love that's in you. And so Jesus has given us a warning again. And part of this has been, again, that as a disciple, I'm a follower. I follow my teacher, which was Jesus. And he specified right there, they'll know you're my disciple by your love, by the way you treat other people. Now, this is not just the command, guys. This is to be a daily experience. This is be, uh, to be Christianity at its finest, that it's got to be on display in our lives on a daily basis. Go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. Now, when the Lord Jesus said that, guys, it wasn't a possibility or a thought. He's saying you got to actually live it. you got to actually do it. And the standard that he set was to be servant-like, selfless. People that literally preferred others above themselves. Now, when we get here in Ephesians 5, this is the Apostle Paul. Pay close attention to some of his words here. Verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Watch what God does, and then you do it. The message says, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. So what he's telling us here 
is that imitation plays a great role in all our lives. Actually, it shapes a lot of our behavior patterns. And the advertising industry, they realize the power of imitation. That's why many times on commercials, they use people to drive a point to me and you. So again here, the power of imitation. And we have all imitated other people for better or for even worse. And so Paul, he's, he's telling us the power of imitation, especially when we imitate God. Verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us. Now he uses two verbs. He says, walk and give. The walk there is associated with 1 Thessalonians 4. It says, walk in brotherly love. Not just the thought, but to actually do it. And so then he says, give. Love is a giver. Love's not a taker. Love gives even if there isn't nothing given back. Verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So when God looks down and he sees us walking in love and giving in love, it's like it's an offering. It's like it's a sacrifice, and it literally becomes a sweet-smelling aroma to God. So when I look at this, he's telling me that when I walk in love and I do good to other people, evidently there's something that comes off that becomes a smell. It's like worship in the nostrils of Father God. Every time you walk in love or you give love to other people, even when they don't deserve it, God takes notice. God pays attention to this. And it's a big deal. Now, when I read these passages here, sometimes I look at the Word of God and I think, that's crazy that God would want me to have to do that. Again, Father God sets the standard way up here. He puts the bar up here. But he would never set a standard that he himself hasn't done. And so he's saying, be an imitator of Father God. Be a student, be a follower. Now, go back back into the Old Testament there. Back to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. And as you're turning here, At this passage here, it's about a man named King David. But we got to go back in history a little bit. Before King David, there was a king named Saul. Saul started out very good as a king, but he didn't end good as a king. And so because he didn't end well, God said, I want a man after my own heart. So when we look at what God looks for, God looks at the heart. God looks on the inside of man, where man has the tendency to look at people's looks, their IQs, their resumes, all their earthly accomplishments. But listen, God looks at the heart. He looks strongly at men and women's heart to see if there's any that has a heart after him. So in through studying these passages of scriptures, you find out that King David resembled the heart of God. Now, pick up with me here, and we'll add some more to that as we go on. 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. 
Now David said, is there still anyone who was left of the house of Saul? Saul's dead. Now what you've got to understand about Saul, that when he was the king over David, he spoke ugly of David, he lied about David, he tried to kill David on numerous occasions. And so here David now is, is the king, and we go back to what Paul said in Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God. So David, when he became the king of Israel, he becomes an imitator of God. He doesn't live like Saul did. David was good to people. Now, we, we got to do a little history here lesson about David. When he was anointed to become the next king of Israel, he was 17 years old. He didn't become that king until he was 30 years old. And I know a lot of people, especially young ones, they don't want to hear this part. But in order to be a king or a man or woman of God after God's own heart, you're going to have to go through some things. The number one thing that David had to do was he had to kill the Goliath in his life. Every one of us in this room have some type of Goliath in our life right now. Something that keeps you from moving forward or progressing. Every one of us. After David kills Goliath, Saul tries to kill him on numerous occasions. So for the next 13 years of David's life, it's fight, it's battle, it's persecution, it's pain. In order to get to the place that God wants to use you, you're going to face pain, you're going to face persecution, and you're going to face a lot of rejection. Woo, amen, pastor, that's great. You never get a lot of amens off that, but listen, that's a truth. That is a truth. You study all the great men and women of the Bible, they went through a lot of stuff to get there. There are no exemptions for me and you. And so every time that King David had an opportunity to speak illfully about Saul, he wouldn't do it. When he had the opportunity to kill Saul, he wouldn't do it. He allowed God to put him in that position. And I believe too many times we try to put ourselves in positions that God hadn't put us in. And so in this passage here, you find out there's things you've got to go through. So now David is king, and it says here, Is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? Matthew 5, verse 44, it says this. Love those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Love your enemies. Honor them. Over and over, it's the exact opposite of what the world says. I believe David literally walked out Matthew 5, verse 44. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. I believe he lived that. And so it said that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now Jonathan was King Saul's son, but he was one of David's best friends. And right here David said, I want to show him kindness. I want to be good to him. I want to show him love. Now, when you look at this, you would think it'd be just the exact opposite. David would say, you know what? I'm going to pay back every one of those guys who hurt me. I'm going to get even with all their children because of what their daddy did to us. 
In the beginning of Matthew 5, Jesus lists five things that are called beatitudes. Beatitudes. I like to personally change it completely around and say, it's an attitude that Jesus tells me to be. I encourage you to read those nine, but the fifth one in Matthew 5, 7 says, for those who show mercy, mercy will be given back to them. That's exactly what David does here. He shows mercy. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Whatever, whatever, whatever a man sows, that's exactly what he'll reap. So when you sow mercy, you are seeding yourself to reap mercy. I've heard people say out of my, their mouth, Man, I never have any mercy come toward me. Well, let me help you a little bit. It's probably because you've never given any mercy. And so this is exactly what he says. So King David says, and I want to show him kindness. Verse 2. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there still not someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? You know what that has written all over? That's an imitator of God right there. He says, is there not anyone that I can still show the kindness of God? Keep reading, same verse. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Now it's interesting how he speaks about this because he could have very easily said, there's still a son of Jonathan who's still alive. But he said, there's still a son of Jonathan who's still alive. But king, he's lame in his feet. So you know what he's saying? I don't know that you want to give or you waste your kindness upon him. He's messed up. He's physically unsuited for any position of importance. So this guy named Zeba. He lists his physical appearances. Again, think about what God said. God said, I look at the heart. I don't look at the outward. I look at the heart. But this guy, he tells King David, you really, really don't want to waste anything on this guy. He's messed up, king. He's not good. And when you study this son whose feet are lame, at a young age, he was accidentally dropped by a nurse. And because he was dropped, it messed his feet up for life. And when I read this, I have to think about this. How many people that we see that maybe look a little different or act a little different, but they've been dropped in life? Many times we just look at people and say, Man, those people are all jacked up. wonder what's wrong with them. Could it be because they've been dropped in life? Maybe because a parent? Maybe because it's just something that happened in life? I remember growing up as, as a kid, and we would spend our summers back in Oklahoma. And the town we were at, there was a guy who was in, in that time frame. He was in his 50s, and he'd ride his bike around town, and he would talk to himself. And it was very apparent he was all jacked up. 
And I said to my father, I said, Dad, was this guy like this his whole life? And he said, no. He said, when he was 17, he was going to be the class valedictorian. He said he was a great three-sport athlete. And one day after school, he walks into his house, and the minute he walks in, he sees his father put a gun to his mom's head and go, boom. He looks at the son and goes, boom. And at that minute, he snapped and never became the same again. And many times it's easy for us to judge people because of the way they act, but what would happen if we even took the thought Wonder how they were dropped in life. What about them? Does everybody just overlook them? Keep reading. So the king said to him, where is he? Now I love that. It didn't distract David. He said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to show this guy the kindness of God, even with the bad report. Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Meshir, the son of Emil in Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Meshir, the son of Emil from Lodibar. And it's interesting that it highlights Lodibar twice. If you refer back into Jesus' life, they said about Jesus, Can anything good come out of a Nazareth? Well, when you study Lodibar, nothing good came out of Lodibar. But yet, those were people in Lodibar. And I can never forget the only thing that goes with us to heaven is people. People from Lodabar. Verse 6. Now when Mephibosheth, now this is the dude's name, Mephibosheth. Don't name your kids Mephibosheth. Don't do it. And don't name your kids Norman Compton. See, most of you don't know that. That's my real name. <laughs> Whew, help me, Jesus. I won't repeat that again. When you ever see me wear my T-shirt that says Straight Out of Compton, it's not because I ever watched the movie. That's my middle name. Straight Out of Compton, okay? There's a reason for that. Wow, how did we get on that? Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and he prostrated himself. Now, I, I want you to get this. He, he comes to David as king. And he falls on his knees before him. And I believe, number one, he did it out of honor for the king. But also, I believe he did it out of a motive for fear. He's thinking, why did he call me? What is he going to do to me? Is he going to kill me? Is he going to get even with me because of everything my grandfather did? So he fell on his face. Then David said to Mephibosheth, and he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Do you know what David is saying? Listen, buddy, from this day forward, you're on the royal pension plan. From this day forward, you're going to eat food at my table always. Not because of anything you've done or haven't done, 
but because you're a child of a king. You know how that plays with me and you? Every time a human being on this earth receives Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life, they become engrafted in as sons. We are now sons and daughter of the Most High. So Jesus, just as he restores everything to us, that's exactly what David did to Mephibosheth. He said, I'm going to make your life so blessed. Now, you would think Mephibosheth would have been, yes, thank you, thank you. Watch verse 8. This is unbelievable to me. Then Mephibosheth bowed himself and he said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Why would you even notice me? Why would you even regard me? Now, I want you to think about this a second. This is the way this man viewed his life, that I am no more valuable than a dead dog. And I wonder how many times people in our society go around with the dead dog mentality. Who would even notice if I'm dead? Who would even notice if I'm gone? And yet we as kids, kings to the kingdom of God, we don't pay attention to them. I read a story recently that this happened in a high school cafeteria. That this young uh, a girl in high school, every day she would go into the, the, the cafeteria with her classmates and she noticed this one boy that would sit at the table by himself day after day after day. And one day the love of God moved in her and she went and said, can I eat lunch with you? And again, he looked and said, why? The dead dog mentality. She eats lunch with him. She sees him after school and he says this to her. If you wouldn't have eaten lunch with me today, I had decided when I got home today that I would kill myself. See, many times we as human beings, myself, I get so busy with life that we're just going through life that we don't care about anybody else. But yet here, this guy who was the king, he cared about a dead dog man. I was in Mexico last week. And one day we were down in this area of town and it was the old part. And I'm walking through there and this guy, he grabs my shirt and tugs on me. And I kind of jerked and pulled away from him. And I looked, I would say he was in his 20s. And he's standing against this wall, and he asked me for money. And I looked at him, and I said, nah, no money. And one side of me wanted to say, go get a job, buddy. And I kind of looked. Well, a few minutes later, I see him sit down on the ground. And he takes a cup, and he sits it there. And I begin to notice some people throwing in change in there. You know, in in, um, Acts 10, verse 38, it said how God, who anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit, he was moved with compassion, and he went about doing good and healing all that those were sick, sick and lame. Periodically in my life, I'll sense the compassion of God come on me. And at that moment, I I sensed something just hit me, and, and I looked over there, and as he sat down, 
It was one of the worst gashes I've ever seen in my life. His whole calf right here was shoved all the way in. It was indented incredibly. And as I looked at him in his eyes, I, I could literally sense the pain and the hurt. And as his, his leg went down further and further, his ankle was swollen beyond recognition. And as I looked at it, it wasn't just an infection. It was one of the deepest gangrene things that I had ever seen in my life. And I looked at him. And in Acts 3, it said that when Peter and John went up to the temple to pray at the ninth hour, they met a lame man. And the lame man said, can you give me any alms? They said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. So right then I looked at him. And I put money in his cup. And I said to him, would you allow me to pray for you? Again, my Spanish is horrible. It's about as bad as my English a lot of times. I'm trying to communicate. I, I, I want to pray for him. So I'm, I'm giving him the, the universal signal in my eyes. And he's looking at me like, no comprende, genius. And so I'm thinking, Lord, I, I don't want to get frustrated here. So I move toward him. And a lady comes up there. And I said, tell him I want to pray for him in the name of Jesus. And he looks up at me. And he digs into his, his backpack. And he pulls out a, a thing of lighter fluid. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, where are we at here? And so then the lady says to me, she said, he's telling you that he's a, a flame spitter. And I don't know if these thought that's what I was going to do, spit flames. I said, oh, no, no, no. Uh-uh. So I said, let, let me lay hands on him. And so he kind of knowledge. And so I put my hands on him and I begin to speak in the name of Jesus. And now for every day, I, I can't get away from it. I find myself interceding. You know what the word intercede means? The word intercede means to pray for someone who doesn't have the ability or the knowledge to pray for himself. And even today, I said, Lord, wherever he's at, Father God, I lay hands on him in the name of Jesus. And so remember when Peter and John said that, it wasn't because they didn't have money. They were saying, I got something a lot better than money. And it's called the name of Jesus, and you're worthy to be healed. I wish I could tell you he rose right then. But it moved me. It moved me with compassion. And I sense this is exactly what happened with David, with Mephibosheth. So he goes on to say, And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and all to his house. You know what he's saying here? He's covenant. You know what covenant means? It's a pledge. He's going to be with me as a king's kid forever. Verse 10. You therefore and your sons, your servants, you shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest, and your master's son may have food to eat. Now you know what he's saying to him? He's basically saying, listen, Ziba, I don't care how you view him. You're going to treat him as a king's kid. He goes on to say, now watch this at the end. But Mephibosheth 
Your master son shall eat at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all my lord the king has commanded, his servant so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth said the king, He shall eat at my table just like one of the king's sons. See, that's for some of you today. Some of you need to see yourself as a king's son. And there's others of us in this room that we already see ourselves as king's sons. But we need to be imitators and we want to say, and there's some of you need to come back to the table of God. There's some of you need the love of God. There's some of you that need to have someone that believes in you that'll say, you can do this. You know what I studied about Mephibosheth? When it all came out, he was a theologian. He was almost borderline genius. But yet because he was lame in his feet, that's how a lot of people looked at him. He's no good. Verse 12, Mephibosheth had a young son, his name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table. Now watch how it ends here. And he was lame in his feet. You know why I believe it ends that way? Because the scriptures want us to know he wasn't perfect. And just because he wasn't perfect, it didn't eliminate him from being a king's kid. It's the same for every one of us. Same for us, but I've got to show that love. Now, I've got one more passage i got you to get to. Go to the book of Titus, chapter 3. Titus, chapter 3. As you're turning there, 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And so it's, it's part of being a believer. that I, I start putting on the love of God, and you know what love does? Love gives and love forgives. Love gives. Thank you for that. Where are you at? I'm going to come preach to you. Love gives and love forgives. Both of those. And the reason I say that today is because every one of us in this room, we've been hurt and wounded at times by people. But as a believer, I forgive the same way that Father God forgives me. See, we have this thought at all times. Well, God will forgive me, but it's okay for me to keep a list of unforgiveness toward other people. That's not an imitator of God. An imitator of God says, you know what? I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to love them. Let me tell you this. I may not get to this passage of Scripture because I'm going to tell you another story. Years ago, I'm I'm at one of uh, my daughter's basketball games, and I'm sitting down close to the basketball. I'm on the front row, and I refereed basketball for many, many, many years. Well, there's this young guy refing, and he knew me from refing. Well, the basketball game gets going on, and it's more of WWF than basketball. I mean, it's headlocks and just crazy stuff. And so he gets near me, and I say to this young guy, I said, dude, you got to blow your whistle, or we're going to have a ride in here. And no one in the gym heard me. I was trying to help him. I said, foul them all out. Don't let them do it. A few minutes later, it gets worse. And I mean, it's the parents are screaming. He gets close to me again. And I said, dude, blow your whistle. You know what he does? He looks at me and goes, you're out of the gym. He kicks me out. 
I'm his only advocate. I thought, what kind of stupid are you? So guess what happens? They get a, a, a security guy, and in front of everybody, they usher the man of God out. So I walk out. So I go outside. I can't even go back in the gym. So you guys know I'm out there praying. Wrong. I wasn't praying. I begin to think in my mind, I'm going to bust his head after the game. I'm, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. I'm going to beat him. And you got to realize I got a pass, and that, that was a possibility. So he comes walking out, and he's got the security guy with him and everything. And I look at him, and he kind of makes a little comment. Well, the man of faith and power that I am, I looked at him and said, Hey, I know where you live and I know where you work. <laughs> truth. The whole truth. So I go to church Sunday. That's what religious people do. We go to church. I'm in church and the Lord begins to deal with my heart. And the Lord speaks to me and he says, I want you to forgive him. And I said, Lord, I forgive him. I'm sorry. I forgive him. And he said, No. You go to where he works and you forgive him. Okay. So I walk into the place where he works. I promise you guys, his, his eyes looked like basketballs when he saw me. He thought, I'm going to run. His eyes... So I said, dude, I'm not, I'm not here to, to do anything, okay? So he walks up and I said, I, I owe you an apology, okay? I said, I should have never acted the way you did and everything. And it ended up coming out that the, the guy ends up coming to church and things happen in his life. But the point of this, none of us are exempt from forgiveness. And, and regardless how unfairly you've been treated in your eyes, Jesus still says you've got to forgive. You've got to walk in love. Ooh, let me read fast. Titus 3, verse 3. Now, now, underline all these if this is you or were you. For we ourselves were once foolish. The message says stupid and stubborn. Yes. Disobedient. Yes. Deceived very much. Serving various lusts. Yes. Pleasures. Living in malice or evil. Envy. Hateful and hating one another. Truthfully, I had to mark every one of them. That, that described me at one time in my life. But when the kindness... And the love of God, our Savior, toward men appeared, not by my works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad God didn't give us what we deserved? Man, I'm so grateful that I didn't get what I really deserved. Look at this, verse 6. Whom he poured out on us abundantly. Not just a little dab. Abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That having been justified by his grace. We should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We become heirs because of Jesus. Not because good works. But only because the grace of God. That God said Jesus is going to take your place. And he did. Keep reading verse 8. This is a faithful saying in these things. I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to apply or maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. You know what he's saying? Man, it ought to be a, a, a 
full love that's embraced and given to every person we come in contact. See, when I study all this, I, I believe that God wants every one of us in this room to be champions of mercy, to be champions of grace, to be champions of his love. But also, he said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love. By your love. And every time I read that, it begins to move in my heart. And I feel with the love of God. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.